When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome, everyone, to The Code Breaker, part of the Player Profiler Podcast Network. Today, we're going to be talking about the Injury Finder with Dr. Jeff Mueller. He's a physical therapist, and he wrote many of the injury write-ups that you'll actually see in the Injury Finder app. So, Jeff, thank you for coming on. Yeah, of course. Yeah, thanks for having me on, and I love the opportunity to add some of the insight into the app. So, I'm really excited to see that. Um, Yeah, you can find me at JM Thrive PT on Twitter and I'm doing some I'm doing work with uh, Destination Devi and I write some articles on the side with DLF. Uh, yeah, excited for this year. Awesome. Yeah, me too. It feels so much more real now that training camp has started. We're getting a little bit of news every day. Pretty soon it's going to be preseason games and can't wait to get into it. So, I just wanted to kind of lead things off with a more casual fun question we can all kind of relate to. What's your favorite football memory yeah so i i was spending some time because i as a niner fan there's so many i could pick but i think for me personally it was a mix between two um as a kid being on the field uh pregame i actually got to meet when the niners were playing the rams i got to meet isaac bruce and tory holt and that was pretty oh, cool wow. yeah and kurt warner was close i didn't actually meet him but uh he was he was right there um and then probably to tie that, the Navarro Bowman pick six in the last game at Candlestick um, to close out the Niners' time at Candlestick. That was just, that was pretty cool. Wow, yeah, that sounds cool. How about you? For me, I would probably have to say, I mean, I've been at some crazy USC games. Like, I went to the Rose Bowl where we beat Penn State 52-49, to and that was just an absolutely crazy environment to be a part of. And to, I mean, that was when we all still believed in sam darnold as a community that was something wait some still do some still do (laughs) (laughs) yeah i think matt rule might be the only one all right so let's get into it the injury finder um is an app that player profiler has built we've built this from the ground up we have an extensive injury database that has allowed us to do analysis on injuries that is unlike anything else that the fantasy space has seen so far and we're bringing it to you in a mobile easy to use app you can be you know at the bar with your friends and say oh you know i think you're i think you're wrong about christian mccaffrey or saquon barkley or whoever you can just pull it up look at the injury risk look at the fragility ratings so i just wanted to lead things off by telling you guys all a little bit about how we built this and the methodology behind it for starters we have an extensive injury history that has been tracked since 2012. So using that data, we were able to calculate something we call a fragility rating, which is a number on a scale of one to 10 that tells you how likely a player is to get injured on any given touch. 
And the way that we calculated this was looking at recent injury history as far as the body part, the severity, and we also look at the player's position, the player's BMI. And this is something that we're able to calculate for every player entering a given season. So right now, the numbers you'll see in the app are all based on recency weighted injury data from the last four years up to 2022. Same thing applies for, you know, past 2021, etc. There's some really cool charts. You'll see the fragility ratings of players change over time. Then the next part that layers into that, how we calculate the probability of a player missing two games is that fragility rating I've found to have a very strong relationship with a player missing two or more games. A guy with a 1.0 typically misses two games or more about 35% of the time, whereas a guy with a 9.0 misses two games or more about 65% of the time. And I was honestly surprised to find this strong of a relationship. I think we all have this perception that injuries are so random and, and fluky and that the fact that this fragility rating, which is based only on past injury history, the player's position, the player's BMI, has a relationship with the probability of missing two or more games was a bit of a revelation and honestly the reason we built this entire app. Now that we've kind of walked through this methodology Jeff, I wanted to ask you from a physical therapist perspective, like, what do you think of how accurate this method sounds for perceiving injuries or trying to gauge injury risk for NFL players? Yeah, yeah, I think it's I think it's going to be very accurate given, I mean, the long-standing phrase we've always used is past injury is predictive of future injury, right? So you're taking that into account, plus how many times a player is projected to get hit. The more times, the more volume a player has, the more times they're hit, um, the, the more likely they are to suffer an injury. As random as they seem, this this method sounds really good of trying to identify those players who are at most risk. Mm -hmm. Really excited. Like anything else that we try to attack in fantasy or try to understand better, like we have to realize that it's a really small sample. Like you get every guy gets to do this season once, so you know, something that has a small likelihood can still happen and something that has a high likelihood can still not happen. And I think that's the beauty of fantasy football. That's why we all play this game. And it feels so good when you're right. And we all know the pains of being wrong. And so we're just trying to put another tool out there that will help people gauge the probabilities of the bets that they're making for the reasons you wouldn't draft a quarterback in round one, just trying to understand the probabilities behind these things will make you a better fantasy player. Now I wanted to dive into some specific players we can answer questions about, get some insights from the app, as well as directly from Jeff, who wrote some of these blurbs and is going to be able to add a lot of context here. So I want to lead off with Elijah Mitchell, since you are a 49ers fan. Can you tell me whether you're concerned about him getting hurt in 2022? Yeah, I, I have to make sure to show no bias, right? So Mitchell and 49ers running backs are honestly hard for me because in my mind, you have to assume that they will get injured. Um, I, I don't have data to actually support that. I've been, if I can find the time, I'll work on a project looking at outside zone and all that. But, um, you know, it makes me think of a comment from Jay Moyer. And actually typing that, I realize I don't actually know his first name, but Jay Moyer FD with uh, the FF Astronauts. He's talked about 
the theory behind outside zone and a running back's increased likelihood of injury because of the nature of the scheme and linebackers coming or safeties coming at an angle most likely towards their knees. So I think even without looking at Elijah Mitchell's injury history, just based on the scheme itself, I think they do. The 49ers running backs do run a risk of an increased injury history or, or probability. Looking at Mitchell specifically, I would say, you know, he suffered what five or six different injuries in, in his rookie season. That's a concern in and of itself. I would say the good news on it is none of those injuries have a have a high recurrent likelihood. Um, concussion, MCL sprain, finger fracture, rib sprain, AC sprain, they all have a relatively low recurrent history or likelihood. Um, and I think based on what I've seen, I think he's entering the season healthy uh, off of the MCL bone bruise injury that he had. I want to say week 14, he did have surgery in the off season, um, but it was a simple arthroscopy should be as of right now, even beat writers have said he's entered the season healthy, but I think you're right. I, I do think the likelihood of Elijah Mitchell suffering an injury in 2022 is I would say high. Yeah. I think our, our app and the algorithm would definitely agree with you. Um, like you said, he's had like everything from thumb and thigh and knee and shoulder injuries. Like it's really almost impressive. And I think that that theory about the outside zone system being a contributor to that definitely sounds like it has some truth to it. Cause I mean, we think of 49ers running backs, it's always like kind of a, a minefield of who who's healthy, who's going to be the starter that week. And whoever is going to be that starter that week is going to be the number one waiver claim because we just know that they run the ball like crazy. And that's just, you know, but we don't know is who's going to be running the ball like crazy specifically. So I think that's a really interesting way to put it. Now, just for, for everyone else out there wondering like, okay, what's, what are his fragility rating and injury risk? So we calculated Elijah Mitchell's fragility rating to be a 5.4, which comes out in the 73rd percentile and his injury risk to be a 56.4% which is in the 93rd percentile. So the reason that you see that jump of like, hey, how come he's a 73rd percentile fragility, but a 93rd percentile um, injury risk is because of his projected workload. We know that he's going to be a running back. We have, we've seen the data of how many more times you get tackled as a running back compared to every other position. And when we project that onto his fragility rating, you get this, you know, exceptionally high injury risk that, um, you know, that's, that's the nature of that position. And that's kind of the way that this, you know, shows you how the algorithm is built in a way that will sort of not only factor in injury history, but also consider the workload and all of these things that make for, you know, a nuanced data set. So next, I wanted to ask you about a couple of guys who have made news in training camp for being ready much sooner than expected. Like these are two guys that everyone thought would be on the pup, miss at least four to six weeks, that kind of best case scenario was October. And we've seen um, James Robinson and Chris Godwin both not land on the pup. So what do you make of these, you know, speedy recoveries or at least seemingly speedy recoveries? I'll start with, um, you know, I'm in a group that we've talked a lot about this pup uh, ordeal. So it, it seems like, if we're understanding all the NFL rules and injury designations, 
the fact that they have both avoided pup, even though they're not participating in full team drills, they're they're more so participating in positional drills or working off the side. The fact that they've avoided pup to start increases the likelihood that they are active uh, weeks one through four, which in my mind is good because we look at, especially when a player returns from these types of injuries, AC for Godwin, ACL and MCL repaired, James Robinson, Achilles repaired. The fact that they would be able to play even minimal snaps early in the season means that their production should increase and their efficiency should increase even earlier into the season. Whereas if they're returning week six, seven, then it takes them longer to, to return to production for fantasy. Right, right. We've all seen that for fantasy where a guy will come back from an injury and his first two weeks he's running limited routes. Right. He's not his usual self. He's being, he might be used as a decoy. So, like you said, the fact that they're more likely to be active week one just moves up that whole timeline where maybe we can expect the Chris Godwin that we know and love and would be drafting in the second round if he was fully healthy for easily more than half the season, maybe as much as two-thirds if we're being optimistic. Yeah, I've seen some say, you know, don't change your projections for the Bucks wide receivers. But in my mind, I mean, you're getting Chris Godwin – Last I saw, he was going as wide receiver 29 in best ball. And it's like, look at the guys you're, you're able to get around him. His potential upside, if he's active early on, I mean, that's an easy pick for me. Right. And, and when I look at ACL injuries, you know, you, we, can, we can all look at a piece of paper, a published article saying, you know, the risks early on. But one, looking at past ACL injuries, most have occurred earlier in the season. So their true return to date is closer to 10, 11 months. That doesn't mean they wouldn't have been able to come back. It just means they were injured earlier than Godwin was, you know, and, and they were still participating in camp. Whereas Godwin's timeline, it just shifts the timeline. That's, that's an interesting way to look at it. Yeah. We, these late season ACL tears. I mean, Robert Woods is another one who he tore his ACL. I think it was the last week of October, maybe early November. And, you know, he's, fully seems like he's fully practicing in training camp and no brace in contact that kind of leads me to asking you what do you make of the sort of shortening of timelines over the years i mean obviously cam Akers is the huge example of this but it seems like i remember five or six years ago it was at least 12 months when you tore your acl and then suddenly it became 10 to 12 months and now chris godwin is pushing being back in game action nine months after injury. So do you think that that's a trend that fantasy managers should bet on, for example, in dynasty leagues? Or do you think that there's a certain limit to how fast you can come back from these severe injuries? I, I think, so Edwin Porras made a good comment. Um, we were talking, you know, looking at athleticism of the, of the athlete. And I'm sure you guys have looked at that, just advanced metrics and their athleticism, their player profile you know, going into the injury and then also seeing this, this part I haven't looked too much into, but seeing how the player actually wins, because I think you'd have to take it player by player. Right. So like thinking of a, thinking of a JK Dobbins, he's going to have a different kind of recovery than say, even, even like a Gus Edwards, where Gus Edwards, he doesn't rely as much on elusiveness and certain things that you lose coming off of the sale um, or that are regressed once you return. So I think, you know, all of that paired with also we have to consider improvements in techniques and surgery. 
Um, a lot of surgeons, these are the details that we don't know behind the scenes, but a lot of surgeons are using stem cells or biologics within their surgery to help with the ligament healing, the graft healing. That can all be improved or improve your, your progress as an athlete returning. There's been some uh, rehab improvements just in, in what we know from strength protocols, um, retraining protocols. You know, it's better. Our, our training is a lot better now than it was even five years ago, six years ago. So all of that you have to consider. And then, and then there's certain aspects that you can't, we don't always know, you know, you, you can't underestimate a player's determination and drive and their focus in rehab. Like that makes me think of a Drew Brees who he just, you know, think about all of his injuries. He's blown those timetables for return out of the water. Russell Wilson's another guy who, when he, when he hurt his finger last year, the conversation was, oh, he's going to miss, I think it was 12 weeks initially. And he came back in what, like six, but yeah, Drew Brees is, I've heard the tale of that that separated shoulder i mean he it was like the worst labrum tear like you could possibly have and he was just rehabbing like crazy every single day and yeah that definitely i think cam Akers is another one who the rams in the rams building they're really high on his work ethic he's a guy who's in the building you know at 7 or 8 a.m every day and he was he was working his tail off to get to that point where he was able to come back in time for the playoffs I think if I can make one comment on, on Cam Akers and the James Robinson, um, the, those incidents, I think this is where this injury app that you guys have can be, can be a great tool paired with your advanced metrics, right? Because Cam Akers is one of those guys where, especially as injury analysts, we struggle with, okay, you returned, you know, how, how is he actually going to produce? In my mind, looking at the advanced metrics, correct me if I'm wrong, but when, he, when Cam Akers returned, he seemed to be bottom of the barrel in almost every advanced metric, right? Mm -hmm. So you look at him and he's, he's very, I think his production for fantasy is very volume driven. So in my mind, if, especially coming off the injury, still rehabbing, now he's at the start of the season, he's going to be a full year returned. But if his efficiency doesn't improve, will the volume then be distributed? Right. Will Sean McVay lean less on acres if, he, if his efficiency, if he's not making the most out of every touch? And we might see the same thing with James Robinson. Right. So I think that's where multiple, the injury app and your advanced metrics are going to be a great pair to, to pull the pieces together. Definitely. I think Marlon Mack has had, I think, one or two really good games post Achilles, but that was a good two, three seasons after he ruptured his Achilles. Same thing with Deontay Foreman last year on the Titans while he was filling in for Derrick Henry. He had some very impressive games. He's another guy who tore his Achilles two or three, maybe even four years ago. So I think if you're drafting Cam Akers this year, you're definitely optimistic that he's a little bit more like his rookie year self than that, you know, less explosive Cam Akers we saw in the playoffs. But I think that with the fact that he had a historically rushed recovery, that's a bet I'd be willing to make. I'd be shocked if his efficiency stays as low as it was in the playoffs. And I think that to answer your point about the Rams offense, Sean McVay just loves having a bell cow, no matter who it is. Even last season, it traded off between Daryl Henderson and Sony Michelle, but it was always one guy getting most of the workload every game. So I think that if Sean McVay still trusts Cam Akers, then you should trust Cam Akers in fantasy. And, um, James Robinson is definitely going to be interesting to see that one play out because he's a guy, he was undrafted. He came out of nowhere his rookie year in 2020. Last year, the team 
drafted ETN to sort of take more work from him. Then ETN missed the whole season. And James Robinson has been a fantasy stud when he's out on the field. So how is that going to blend with ETN now being healthy and a new head coach? So I think that's a really interesting one. For James Robinson, we've got him at a 47.4% chance of missing two or more games and a 5.5 fragility rating, which is just a tick above Elijah Mitchell's. So these both check in at roughly the 75th percentile. And the reason that um, that 47.4% for Robinson, I mean, that might seem low because you think, oh, he's recovering from that other injury. But the way that we calculate this is just based on him developing a new injury or like what's his injury risk once he sees the field again. So you know, with a guy like Odell Beckham or um, Chris Godwin as well, like rather than going in and manually assuming, oh, well, he's going to miss, we think he'll miss this many games. So we're just going to say he's already at a hundred percent chance of missing two or more games. That would be less informative than just telling you what his probability would be if he was going into this season healthy. What do you think of those numbers? Yeah, that sounds good. And, and thinking through it clinically as a PT, I would think, and I'll, I'll be curious to see this by year end to compare, but I would think both Godwin and James Robinson, their risk would be not necessarily re-injury of for Godwin, ACL, MCL, and James Robinson, the Achilles, but more so soft tissue injuries like hamstrings, strains. So I'll be curious to see. I, I think those numbers make sense for them. To put it out there, Godwin, we've got him coming in at 5.8 fragility rating and 54.2% injury risk because you can see that with Godwin, he's had much more of an injury history the last two, three years, an assortment of hamstring strains, concussions, a foot and hip sprain at different points. So it's remarkable that he's not on the pup, but he has had, you know, his own little array of injuries in the last couple of years leading up to this ACL tear. So to sort of put a bow on this conversation of guys who are rushing or not necessarily rushing, but, you know, beating their timetables, back from injury how much greater is the risk of re-injury to these guys as opposed to like any other just football player taking the same number of hits like from a physical therapist perspective yeah in comparison to a player i'm trying to think of um like like looking if i were to look at just random comparison chris godwin compared to keenan allen because i know he had the acl tear and was injury prone in 2016 that's a myth um But looking at him now, you know, if I'm looking at the injury histories, I would, and fragility rating, I would say, yeah, Chris Godwin this year coming off of in year one off the ACL MCL repair would have a higher risk for injury compared to a Keenan Allen. Yeah. Keenan Allen, I think is a really great example of how this algorithm does such a good job capturing a guy's evolution in going from injury prone to, you know, reliable and healthy because he has he had that torn acl and i believe he didn't he rupture his lacerated his kidney at one point too like he just had some crazy injuries and over the last five years i think we've seen him miss like maybe one or two games at tops he's just been become reliable kind of unexpectedly based on his early career injury history but you can see from the trend lines in the app the chart that shows you the evolution of his fragility rating as it goes down from like above average to league average. So now he, I think he, he's considered healthier than average. So ebbs and flows a lot of times. It makes me think of Brandon cooks, you know, he's always been 
written off as injury prone. And yeah, he dealt with the ankle sprain at the very end of, of last season, but everyone talks about his concussions. He hasn't had one since 2019, right? So his injury, his virtuality card changes. It, it works, you know, so that'll be a good tool to use. I think that another guy that everyone wants to hear about whenever the conversation comes to injuries is Michael Thomas. We know that he hadn't missed a game in his career prior to the ankle injury in 2020. He was the wide receiver one in every format in a historic season in 2019 and then missed nine games in 2020 and all of 2021. What do you think of him going into 2022? Yeah, so if I were to guess without seeing the numbers, I would guess any um, data-based injury risk rating or fragility rating would probably have Michael Thomas higher than I would personally think he would be purely based off of games missed, right? Because he missed all of last year. He missed a decent chunk in 2020, but looking clinically at it. So there was the weird part, you know, where I think the saints had preferred that he would have surgery uh, in January, 2021. He tried to go through rehab, didn't work. He wound up getting surgery late in June. Um, and, by all accounts, it sounds like he did have the deltoid ligament repaired, but the setback that he had, it sounds like, and again, the reports we have or that I've seen have been somewhat inconsistent or inconclusive, but it sounds like it, the, the botched part was a tightrope procedure, which essentially helps, it should help add to stability, especially of the high ankle, of the two bones um, in your lower leg going down to the ankle. So, Interesting. Knowing that and knowing that he had that second, essentially the second surgery in November, everyone looks at this, oh, it's been two years. He still isn't, still hasn't healed. He still hasn't fully returned. Well, you have to look at it actually from November, from the most recent surgery to fully repair what was not fixed in the first place, which would be closer to nine months, which actually looking at that timetable makes sense for his return. Aside from all that too, you know, looking at, just seeing some of these recent videos makes me laugh when people say, like, oh, he doesn't look that good. Mike, Michael Thomas was never the most explosive person. You have to look at how he's moving and how he's cutting off of his left foot. He actually looks pretty darn good. And hearing that he hasn't had any setbacks, he's a full go in camp and he avoided pup. And also knowing that a tightrope procedure, if done correctly, has a low likelihood for recurrence and further injury down the road. I have to take all of that into consideration and say, I, I honestly think Michael Thomas has, from a clinical standpoint, a decent chance of playing a full season. But I understand that from a data point, I mean, what's his fragility rating? Is it relatively high? Yeah, it's, um, let's just say it's in the 97th percentile yeah. at an 8.4 and then a 60.3% chance of missing two or more games is what, you know, the algorithm spit out for him. I think that's, you know, this is exactly why we're having you on the show to add this, you know, clinical nuance to thinking about these injuries. And I don't think I knew that Michael Thomas had had another surgery in November. I remember the Saints debacle and he waited to get the surgery until June. The team was kind of mad at him and all these things. I think he was upset with the team because they kind of had him told him to play through it because it was Drew Brees' last year in 2020. So I think there's just been so many layers to his injury and his story that, you know, it's really good to get that perspective. And like you said, I think it's important to recognize that the information that is public will always be incomplete. We don't have the full medical reports on these guys and we can only do our, you know, make our best guesses to as to like 
whether you know they'll make a full recovery what what the risk of re-injury is and um i think that's a really interesting way to think about it i was definitely starting to get fairly concerned i remember there was the box jump video back in like june and his legs were looking a little skinnier than i would have thought and i just remember we were all a little that i think that that dropped his adp a good bit but now that he's out there in camp, I think it's a very pleasant surprise as a Saints fan. So there was a big, big debacle, especially amongst injury analysts on that video. I would encourage you, if you're listening to this and you were concerned about that 24-inch box, single-leg box jump, go try that. Go try to do a single-leg <laughs> box jump and see how you do. Because I'll tell you what, that one, that looked like a warm-up video. And two, I, I guarantee some of the people, even injury analysts, who were saying, oh, it doesn't look that great. Like, is this all he's doing? Probably haven't even done a single leg box jump in my life. Go try it. If I had a 24-inch box right here next to me, I think we would have to do it for the stream. But unfortunately, I don't. Uh, <laughs> but I'll report back to you for sure. Yeah. That's a really good point. I think we forget that these NFL athletes like are just capable of so much more with their bodies than the average person could dream of. And I think that's... Again, hadn't thought about that that way. So very glad we're having you here on the show. And yeah, I think as far as Michael Thomas goes, it'll just be really interesting to see what the pecking order turns out to be for these Saints receivers because they drafted Chris Olave. They traded basically the equivalent of like a top three pick to trade up to get Chris Olave between trading for that extra first from the Eagles and then trading up again to I think it was the 11th pick with the commanders to get Chris Olave and that was just I mean if you think about the draft capital they gave up to get him they better be feeding him the ball his skill set matches up with Jameis's they also signed Jarvis Landry who you know has had some injuries has had a dip in efficiency he's getting to be well on the wrong side of the age apex and then Michael Thomas total wild card at least in the eye of many fantasy analysts this year so very much interested to see how that'll play out and i think there's a lot of potential for any of those three guys to really beat their adp by a mile well and uh james is coming off the acl right? yep yeah he's he's one of our higher risk quarterbacks as well i believe he's top five in fragility rating and he might be a little bit lower down in injury risk just because we don't project him for quite as many rush attempts which leads perfectly right into our next little segment here, which is going to be talking about mobile quarterbacks, because I mean, we all know that there's a perception that mobile quarterbacks are more injury prone. And we've seen it just last season, like Jalen Hurts, Kyler Murray and Lamar Jackson, all were just tearing it up in fantasy, have various ankle injuries for Kyler. It was week eight for Jalen Hurts. It was week 12 for Lamar Jackson. It was week 14. And then we have seen like we discussed, it's not like you come back from the injury and you're automatically your old self. So there's a dip in production with those first couple games back from injury where they're a little bit more timid to take off out of the pocket. So, I mean, what do you think? Was it a fluke that all three of these guys had ankle injuries in 2021? Or should you be worried if you're drafting a rushing quarterback for that ceiling in 2022? Yeah, I, I think it's a very good conversation. And actually, Josh Allen was in there too. He... He had an ankle sprain. I don't remember what week, but it was kind of a mix between like MCL, ankle, ankle injury at some point there. All highlight. So Adam Hutchinson, Hutchinson, a physical therapist at 
BeRealAdam underscore H. He actually had a really good article kind of dispelling the myth of mobile quarterbacks being at a higher risk for injury. Um, and I think it, it really comes down to, especially from the clinical standpoint, it comes down to, you know, these mobile quarterbacks, like you've talked about with the fragility rating, they're putting themselves at more risk. They have higher volume of rushing, um, more likelihood of, of you know, higher attempt or higher um, uh, incidence of being tackled, right? You have to look at, are they good at avoiding being hit, going down when they should, going out of bounds when they should? I think Lamar Jackson has gotten better about that. Um, but, but I do believe, you know, in this topic, the higher risk is, yeah, when they're rushing, it's more so going to be as they're being tackled from behind if their ankle gets rolled up on. Does that put you at risk for low ankle, high ankle sprains? You know, looking at it, I can't remember when Kyler's occurred, but like thinking of Jameis's injury, he tore his ACL in the pocket, trying to climb the pocket, trying to avoid pressure, and he got hit in the pocket. Lamar Jackson didn't get injured on a rush attempt. He rolled out to avoid pressure and got hit behind the line. So it wasn't even when he was rushing when he suffered his injury. So I think there's a little bit of a myth. You know, a really great player to illustrate that point is Russell Wilson, right? We saw him be a big rushing quarterback early in his career. We know he was a former baseball player, so he knew how to slide. He knew when to slide. And we saw him be one of the healthiest quarterbacks in the league from 2016, even 2014 up to 2020. And last year, it was what a finger injury in the pocket, right? He hit hit his finger on some guy's helmet. So as far as the league has gone to protect quarterbacks, because we all know that they are what makes this game most fun. I think that, you know, it's still football. There's still going to be fluke injuries. Um, but yeah, I guess as far as the, you know, injury risk algorithm goes, we do have, you know, I believe it's Lamar and then Kyler and then Jalen Hurts because we know how much getting tackled increases when you're running the ball. And we've seen how that correlates to injury risk. So that's clear to see how they end up at the top there, despite having, you know, lower fragility ratings than some guys ahead of them. Like I think Joe Burrow is someone who we have with a relatively high fragility rating because he had, you know, obviously the ACL tear. And I think he missed we have him as missing week 17 last year due to a knee injury, which I think is probably related to that. So, you know, we you can see how a guy who's less mobile with a higher fragility rating comes out with a lower injury risk than the guys who are mobile with slightly lower fragility ratings. Did Burrow sit because um, their seating was already locked up, though? If he's in our database, I think what it probably happened is they may have rested him and called it a knee injury and said, okay, like we're going to, you know, give him the week off and put him on, you know, whatever list because he's not practicing because we're going to rest up his knee for the playoffs. But yeah, I, I'd have to look back into the specifics of that one. But I just know that we have him as missing a game. And I think the knee injury popped up in the preseason last year for him too, they kind of eased him back in. So because you see that knee injury lingering into 2021 in the database, the algorithm picks that up and says, Hey, he's, you know, still got significant injury risk between the high severity injury and followed up, you know, repeated. And we also, one thing that we consider is what body part was injured. And we know that knees, ankles, you know, hamstring, 
all these lower body injuries, they have a different, they tend to have a different effect on future injuries than like, say, a broken finger. I mean, so I think that the fact that Burrow's injury was a knee is kind of adding to his fragility rating in a way that makes it look worse than perhaps you would perceive it to be from a clinical perspective. One one key piece that, you know, I, I thought about this as you were explaining all of that and thinking through all of those players, I think one one interesting piece to see if there's any correlation to is health and quality or performance of the offensive lines of those quarterbacks. Lamar's offensive line took some big hits. Kyler's offensive line took some big hits. And thinking in the future, like this year, how will Trey Lance, you know, as a mobile quarterback, how will his offensive line perform? Because I would assume, I'd be curious if it if the data backs us up, but I would assume that would lead to them being hit more too. Yeah, that's a really interesting thought experiment. I feel like just from this conversation, I'll listen back to this and I'll come away with like three or four little research topics and and we'll have to wait and see. But I mean, like you said, the combination between our advanced player metrics and the injury database, there's so much potential research to be done and what does recovery actually look like? And I think like this injury finder as a whole, it's really hard to tease out trends from one guy or five guys. If we are able to, you know, look at a sample that's large enough to draw reasonable conclusions from, that's how you end up reaching like a good range of outcomes, understanding of any given situation. So, you know, I think that I would be optimistic that we can, you know, identify maybe a trend between the offensive line and quarterback health or a trend between, you know, recoveries and just how soon a player is back to full efficiency. Um, so, you know, let's go back to the 49ers and talk about George Kittle because we know that he's someone who's had, again, a very wide range of injuries in his career so far. And when he's on the field, he's just absolutely smashes. So what do you think of his injury risk? Are you worried about him going into 2022? Yeah, I think, well, one, probably a little bit of my bias coming in. Uh, I think it helps that he no longer will have Jimmy G throwing terrible balls to him. <laughs> exposed to being hit with the leg. And yeah, yeah, the hospital balls. Hospital ball. yeah, thank you, hospital balls. Because, you know, you think about the three knee injuries that he's had, they have all been hospital balls. Now, the risk is, yeah, that Trey Lance does the same thing, but I think from a clinical standpoint, I do have a little bit of concern on his knees. If I were to be concerned about any specific injury of his, it wouldn't be the foot. It wouldn't be that cuboid fracture. It's very rare. It's a rare injury to occur, and it has a really good blood supply, so that should be fully healed. Not necessarily the shoulder either. He hasn't had any recurrent dislocations, subluxations, or labral issues. He, he didn't ever need surgery for it. Anywhere's a harness still or a sleeve. So honestly, I would be concerned about the knees. And apparently, I saw very little about this, but apparently he had a little bit of a flare-up. I don't I don't know if they used it as a way of keeping him out of camp early on or OTAs, but there was a report that said uh, he was dealing with some knee discomfort. And so that that just a little bit of a, a yellow flag for me, just given his past history of knee injuries, MCL sprains, all that. Right, right. And, you know, with... With every position, there's definitely some increasing concern that comes naturally with age. I mean, we saw just so many guys just like get more and more brittle as they get older. Someone's in the comments calling him George Brittle. <laughs> no, not sure if you've heard that one before. <laughs> oh, yeah. 
new one for me. But yeah, I think that, you know, and like you said, I think that these knee injuries, they affect all the soft tissues around the knee where it's like you could miss a couple of games from a hamstring strain because your knee isn't quite right. So I think that he's a guy that when he's on the field, he has probably the highest single week upside of all the tight ends. You could argue like, I mean, we've seen him have, you know, a 200 yard game, three touchdown games, like all this crazy stuff. And it'll be really interesting to see whether he can like Trey Lance can unlock an even higher ceiling for the Niners passing offense. But yeah, George Kittle is someone that that's kind of baked into his ADP. That's why he's the cheapest of these elite tight ends. I think some of the concern too, not necessarily injury, but honestly, going back to the O-line talk, the Niners, they have Trent Williams. Yeah, he's obviously solid. But then Mike McGlinchey will be starting. He's coming off the quad tendon repair, which is pretty significant. And then three very young inside linemen. Uh, their center, I think their, uh, their left guard and right guard are going to be two second-year players. So we might see Kittle block even more. So my hope is he's at least very efficient, as always, as he usually is with his volume, with his targets. Mm-hmm. And I think we've got another really interesting point here in the chat, which is that like Washington is notoriously known for their players being injured. I remember there was a stretch where the Chargers had just absolutely brutal injury luck. And do you think that there is some truth to that like perception where certain teams like training staffs are maybe not as advanced as other teams? And that just kind of rolls into, you know, which teams are able to stay healthy. I know that, for example, the Rams have been on the right side of injury luck for the better part of the last five years. And some people attribute that to their sports medicine. So like, how much do you buy into those narratives? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think you definitely have to consider it like the Rams, they're tied in with Cedar Sinai, which is one of the top notch programs that you could even be tied to for, from an orthopedic standpoint, from a, from a rehab standpoint. I don't have any tie-ins, but I've heard some rumors, you know, like the Bengals, their staff is iffy, Ravens as well. And you saw that with their high volume of injuries last year. But strength and conditioning and training, I mean, that that all plays a really big role in how players recover. You know, the recovery aspect is rarely talked about, how they recover and their process in that after the game, the next couple of days. Um, that, that all starts with the training staff. Mm-hmm. So. Those are the pieces, though, that we have very little information on. From an outsider's perspective, it definitely proves to be mostly speculation. But someone like Stefan, she's going to know a little bit more than like a mere Morse or. Yeah, that makes sense. So many things just factor into injuries and recoveries that, as a fans and as fantasy players, we have you know as little knowledge as the teams want us to have. So. It's, um, you know, always incomplete information, I think, is something that, you know, people should strive to understand and, you know, be be willing to be wrong in either direction when it comes to these these guys coming back from injury. Um, another guy that I wanted to ask you about, it's been in the news this week because he signed with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, um, is Mr. Julio Jones. Now, he's had two pretty serious hamstring injuries each of the last two seasons, so... What do you make of him going into Tampa Bay? I think he's entering his age 33 or 34 season. Mm-hmm. And yeah, tell me what you think about Julio Jones. Yeah, I mean, especially when it comes to soft tissue injuries and the multitude that he's had. 
you have to assume there's some scar tissue development. That tissue is going to be weaker. You can, um, like, it makes me think of, you know, someone younger, like a Debo Samuel, who he dealt with some injuries. He, he changed, he revamped his, his entire training regimen and how he, how he worked his body, trained his body for the workload um, and, and a lot of hamstring strengthening, apparently. And he went through most of last year healthy, right? Is that going to be a little different for someone who is older? Yes. So Julio, I mean, honestly, he's one of those guys that I have no idea what to expect. Will I expect him to be fully healthy? Probably not, to be honest, looking at his extensive history. (laughs) So I can't remember who did it, but someone posted his amount of injuries since he entered the league. Actually, I think even since he was in Alabama, they all add up, right? Mm -hmm. So I would say it's kind of, it's kind of like a similar conversation with CMC where I think it's going to, depend on his volume, how much he's utilized, how much how much stress and strain he's putting into his body, and how he's going to be able to recover after the games. Because if he's the kind of guy where maybe maybe the Bucks don't need to utilize him 85, 90% snaps every game, yeah, he can make it through a season healthy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the chat got me chuckling again. <laughs> Does Julio even have feet left? Based on videos, I have, I have seen his feet, both of his feet intact, thankfully. Okay. Phew. Good to know. You heard it here first, folks. But yeah, I think that, like you said, his his injury history from when he entered the league has has definitely been something that adds up. And that kind of makes me wonder, from a clinical perspective, do you think there's sort of a scientific like proof that your body is just more like will take more time to recover, say, in your early 30s than in your mid 20s? Or do you think that's an NFL specific wear and tear like belief that people have or is there like yeah i guess real proof on that i think anyone who has gone through ask any mid-30s person out there they can they can tell you my body just feels different you know what we know from a tissue histology standpoint the healing is is going to just take longer as you age so and then you think about someone like that anyone in the nfl they're putting an immense amount of stress through through their body through practice through you know through camp through practice hopefully they're using this this camp time to uh, increase their workload and, and adapt get their tissue to adapt to be ready for that workload but that's why you see some of these guys um, like actually Julio I think had a veteran veteran day off today even though he's only practiced for what two days they're, they're likely doing that just to allow him to rest and recover and focus on his health and not over and I mean, he was a free agent until earlier this week. So and he's still on his own. But. Exactly. The team and as fans, we don't really know what his workout regimen looks like in the off season or how close his body is to being truly season ready. Um, and you mentioned Christian McCaffrey, and I think you can't do an injury show without talking about Christian McCaffrey. So what do you think of him going into 2022? I know that if you look in the app, you can see that he's had four injuries of at least medium severity in the last two years, which is pretty remarkable considering most injuries are considered low severity. So what do you think of that uh, that whole situation? Yeah. Yeah. If I, so looking at that and hearing that, I would assume that's based on um, the amount of games missed, meaning he had, a, he had higher grade injuries. I, I think looking at his his history. The, the good thing that I see is that none of his injuries have been recurrent. They've all been 
separate incidents. I think the concern obviously is, okay, they're all soft tissue. What's going on there? But I, you know, looking at his injury history and what's occurred, I think a lot of it is volume driven. So when, when looking at it, you know, am I concerned on Christian McCaffrey getting injured this year? I think I am to a certain degree and probably a, you know, a low degree if his volume stays at a historic rate. You know, he, he gets the ball, what, 25, 30 times a game. It's just you're going to break down when that occurs. Yep. Now, given his injury history and each injury, the low likelihood for recurrence, if they were to reduce his volume, do I think he could play a full season? Yeah. And, and the good thing is for him, he can his efficiency in receiving, that, that gives you an immense ceiling in PPR leagues. So at cost, it's like you're paying the premium for him, obviously. Most people are taking him 1-2, 1-3. You could definitely make the argument that he should be going 101. Yeah, I think you're right. His ceiling is matched if he can stay healthy all year. Right. You know, like you said, it's a matter of, from a, like from a fantasy perspective, we I guess you want to root for maybe just a tiny bit of his workload to be dialed back to the point where he's able to stay healthy, but his workload is what has made him a fantasy cheat code in the games he's played in, in the last two years and in his historic 2019 season. So it's kind of a double-edged sword where you don't want them to dial it back too much if you're drafting him, but you also, you know, just hope he stays healthy. For example, he is at the top of our projections for injury risk. I mean, obviously his workload plays a huge role in that. He's currently projected for just an absolute metric ton of touches. Um, but that still comes out to a 72.6% injury risk. Like you might think, oh, if I'm drafting him, there's a 99% chance he's going to miss the whole season. Like that's not how probabilities work, you know? So people need to understand like that 28% chance of him staying healthy is why you're drafting him at the top of the first round. Um, and when it comes to fragility rating, just to put it out there, he's tied with Rashad Penny for the highest at a 9.6 among running backs. Highest among running backs. I think Paris Campbell might be a little higher as one of the receivers, but it's a uh, you know, lot to consider there with Christian McCaffrey. And those first round picks are where you can very easily lose your league as we've seen the last couple of years. So we're winding down, reaching an hour here. So I want to see if maybe we get one or two more questions from the chat about just various injury histories. I mean, one person has asked, do we consider Antonio Gibson injury prone at this point? What do you think of that? Yeah, I know. So I've gone a little bit on the opposite direction on the, this whole argument. I know there's that argument of does injury prone actually exist, et cetera. Um, I think it does. I think the definition or the term has been overutilized to a large extent. You know, players I would consider injury prone would be guys like Antonio Gibson, Miles Sanders, who has had the similar injury or same injury recur over and over and over again. Gibson's definitely one of those guys. And I, I think the team is I think the team is telling us what they think of him by drafting Brian Robinson and limiting Gibson's camp workload right now. He's he's dealing with a hamstring injury. See, the good thing about Antonio Gibson is when he gets his touches, he's relatively efficient, right? I'm assuming the data backs that up. We know he's a good running back when he gets the volume, but it's been tricky to even see Washington trust him with bell cow volume at any point in these two years of his career. And I, I don't think, you know, everyone, especially early on in the first 
first year, second year, or at least when Ron Rivera and Scott Turner took over, many people were saying like, oh, Christian McCaffrey, or what they what they call him, DCMC? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, Washington version of Christian McCaffrey. We're not going to see that. But, you know, this this funny this funny thing that we root for in fantasy, it's like, we, oh, we want this player to get all this volume. It's like, well, Antonio Gibson is one of those guys, like you just said with Christian McCaffrey, we actually hope he gets a little less volume so he can stay healthy and be more efficient with his touches. And at cost, I think he's going now seventh round. It's like if he drops in cost, even taking into account the injury risk and the fragility rating, he may be worth the, the cost. Definitely. I think that there's 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 a very good case to be made both ways where they did draft Robinson. They re-signed McKissick, who has you know always sapped that passing down work from Gibson. So how much will we see Antonio Gibson get? I know some analysts who I trust that are very high on him, and I know some analysts who I trust that are very low on him. So he's definitely an interesting one this year. I mean, he has had shin splints, which I know are kind of a an uncommon injury. Like, what do you have anything to add on that? Like, what do you think of? Is that this year? I think it was last year. He missed, or he, he didn't miss any games, but it looks like he was on the injury report for four weeks. Yeah, that that was actually a so the hairline fracture in his tibia. So the fact that he was even playing through that, uh, he, they probably should have just rested him. But I think they listed it as shin splints, but it wound up being a, a small fracture. Wow. Yeah. yeah, see? This is this is why you need to have a physical therapist on your injury show, ladies and gentlemen. 